all over the world are struggling with their mental health. Anxiety, depression, and suicide rates among men continue to increase. There are many underlying factors to these challenges that need to be addressed in order for meaningful change to happen. In this mini-series, I'll be talking with our counselors about different aspects of men's mental health and the unique challenges they face. Welcome to Living Fully, a Calgary Counseling Centre podcast. Each episode, we'll bring you insights from our expert counselors and tips and strategies to improve your mental well-being. I'm your host, Katherine Hertig. Calgary Counseling Centre and Counseling Alberta provide effective counseling for anyone in Alberta with no wait list and no financial barriers. Find us online at calgarycounseling.com or counselingalberta.com. On this episode, I talk with Stefan de Villiers, registered social worker, about men's experiences with domestic abuse. We touch on the misconceptions and stigma around this issue, the many different types of abuse there are, how abuse can impact mental health, and more. Today, I'm here with Stefan de Villiers. Did I say that right? Stefan de Villiers. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> um, and we're going to be talking about male victims of domestic abuse. So, Stefan, can you start out, introduce yourself, tell us a bit about you and your background? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm a social worker by training, graduated from the University of Calgary. I work as a generalist counselor, and then I was hired on in 2019 with the Calgary Counseling Centre to coordinate the Male Domestic Abuse Outreach Program, which is one of a very few programs in the country that is focused directly on servicing men who have experienced some form of domestic or intimate partner violence. Right. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure we're going to get into that, but like the reason it, that there aren't many programs around male victims, I would assume it's because, you know, there's there a lot of stigma around that. It's underreported. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of all of that. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of programming out there for women. And, and of course, you know, that's a great thing. But I think we have neglected as a society the experiences of men, not just with domestic abuse, but just with mental health, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. And I think just socially, men are not necessarily as comfortable accessing mental health services. So all of those factors kind of combine to create an environment where men, I think, have been neglected when right. it comes to this topic. Yeah. So what are what are some misconceptions around male victims? What are some stats? And Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that it's hard to measure. And, and you mentioned some of the reasons earlier that it is something that is underreported. It's also an issue of it depends on what data you're looking at. Of right? course. So, you know, there's there's individuals that look at police reports and they see, okay, well, 80% of victims are women and, you know, 20%, which is not nothing, but is much smaller, um, are men. And so, you know, based on those stats, services make sense to have more services for women than for men. But like you said, it's it's underreported. It is underreported. Yeah, just because it's that 20% doesn't mean that it's not happening. 
Well, exactly. And that's the thing, right? I mean, statistics can give you a general picture, but it doesn't tell you like the individual sitting in front of you, let's say in a counseling room, whether they're a victim or not, right? You need to talk to them. And and the thing is, when we do community surveys, um, where people are asked to answer specific questions about the types of behaviors in their relationship, the picture is a lot more equal in, in the sense that men are reporting experiences of uh, physical abuse, um, psychological abuse, financial abuse, you know, just different forms of intimidation and threat from their partners. And while it is true that the most severe, you know, physical violence is generally more towards women, again, it, it what we do know is that men do experience those forms of violence as well. And when they do, they're often not properly served. Right. Now, you said things like financial abuse. Can we get into that a little bit? Like the different forms of abuse that that could be? Yeah. I mean, so the most common type of abuse that men experience is psychological abuse. Um, So intimidation, you know, for example, a partner might tell their partner that they can't go out and see friends and family, that they should always report into them and are not allowed to basically have a social life outside of their partner. Um, So that would be an example of, yeah, psychological or emotional abuse. Then there are financial abuse you mentioned. So that would be where perhaps the man is going out and making income, but that income is going into a joint account or an account that they don't control. And so they're not actually necessarily able to access the money that they're bringing in and their their partner is spending that money um, without asking for their permission or for their input at all. Um, And, and, you know, that, that is a very effective way of controlling people's behavior. And then, you know, other forms of abuse. I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, things like medical abuse. While it is true that men are generally physically stronger than than women, um, that's not always the case. And also men can have disabilities or men can have health issues that make them particularly vulnerable to um, intimate partner abuse. For example, a partner can withhold medication or isolate them in their room and, and, you know, not help them get around or go to the bathroom, things like that, right? So there are subtle ways that partners can really make their male partner quite miserable, Yeah. (laughs) even if it's not physically um, violent. You'd mentioned control. Does that play a big part in abuse? Yes. I mean, really, when we're talking about domestic abuse, what we're talking about is somebody using intimidation, manipulation and control to get their needs met. And I mean, it's a spectrum, right? We all, nobody's perfect, right? We all use manipulation tactics in our relationship. But when it becomes an ongoing pattern and it becomes something where, you know, this person is really meeting their needs regardless of the cost that that might have on their partner, then we're starting to talk about abuse. Can you share some unique challenges that men may face when when seeking help for their experiences of domestic abuse? Yeah. You know, men often will share that it's very difficult for them to break through the feelings of shame. So let's start with the internal barriers. Yeah. Right. Um, Often it comes with a lot of shame and embarrassment that they aren't able to fix their own problems. You know, again, the the socialization of men comes into this because men are, are told, you know, they need to be strong. They need to be able to fix their own issues. They need to be independent. They shouldn't rely on other people. It's not 
okay to be weak, right, or vulnerable. So all of those messages that men grow up with, you know, really make them vulnerable when they are in a situation where there is abuse because they don't necessarily have the the knowledge or the ability to speak about it. And then what men often also report is that when they do disclose the abuse to family or friends or professionals, um, counselors, police, authority figures, the response is very inconsistent. Um, It will really depend on how knowledgeable that person is about the complexities of domestic abuse. Right. You know, it could be that they get ridiculed for being abused by a woman or just not believed. And, you know, men have, have shared that, you know, they'll they'll disclose or they'll call the police to the house and then they will be arrested as the perpetrator, even when there's, you know, pretty clear evidence that they were not the initiator of the abuse. So, yeah, there's there's just that assumption, like, yeah, you're the man. Stereotypes is, yeah. are pretty strong. And, you know, again, it makes sense where those stereotypes come from, because, yeah, when Women do experience severe violence. But I think when we take that lens and we try to impose it on every single situation, then we're going to we're going to harm some people. Right. You know, again, men are not a monolithic group either. Right. Like they're no, exactly. You know, there is certainly that aggressive masculinity, for lack of a better word, out there. Um, but I think that, you know, the other piece of this is, too, is that there is, you know, a lot of men that are not the stereotypical of man with, you know, <laughs> muscles of, you know, big muscles and, you know, muscle cars and all that. You yeah. know, there there are men that are sensitive. There are men that are more gentle. Uh, and, you know, there are women that are the opposite. Right. You know, when we assume that men are a certain way, then again, we, we, we run the risk of falling into those stereotypes. Right. We've talked a bit about abuse as a whole. Um, How does experiencing abuse, how does that impact someone's mental health? Well, quite negatively. It ranges, of course, depending on how long the relationship was and, and how escalated the abuse got. But it can it can certainly cause people to have symptoms of depression, anxiety. Those are very common among people that have gone through this experience. It it definitely has a negative impact on self-concept and self-esteem. You know, it can certainly lead to issues, you know, both in their personal lives, but in, in work, right? Not being able to focus at work or, you know, making more mistakes at work or just more absenteeism from work because they're dealing with a trauma that's ongoing. Men report experiences like not sleeping very well, which that's very bad for your mental health over the long term. And then, of course, it impacts physical health as well, right? Um, you know, if your body is constantly under that stress and you're constantly walking on eggshells, you know, that wears a person down. And, you know, at the extreme end, yes, men um, also have PTSD symptoms. They'll have nightmares. They'll have flashbacks. They'll be walking down the road and see a car that reminds them of their ex and and you know, that might set off a, a reaction. Again, it can lead to suicide, suicidality. It can be very severe. When you've been working with clients uh, who have experienced abuse, of course, everyone's, everyone's different. Every situation is unique. What are some ways that you work with them to, I don't know what the right term would be, like to, to get past that, to move forward, to, I don't want to say heal, but... Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It Again, the answer is going to be it depends on where they are on their journey. Um, you know, I mean, just to tell you a little bit about the male domestic abuse outreach program. Uh, so the, the men that come in, they're at different phases, right? So some men are being 
referred by other agencies after a really severe incident and, you know, they're trying to rebuild their lives. They're not necessarily even looking for counseling at that point. They're just trying to figure out, okay, where do I live? You know, how do I get my kid out of the situation? They're just trying to figure out the logistics, right? right? In that case, our role becomes to connect them with community resources and, and make sure that they're, you know, connected with other agencies that can also support them, let's say with, you know, searching for jobs or the food bank or whatever it is that they need, just basic needs. So there, there's those those folks. And then there's men that are coming in that, you know, they're not sure whether they're experiencing abuse, right? That's sort of the other extreme that we see, right? Where men are coming in and they're like, you know, my, I don't know, my mother or my sister told me that I need help, but I don't really know what's, you know, what's wrong. Like maybe it's my fault. And you know, they're trying to make sense of like what they could do differently to solve the problem. And, you know, part of the work then becomes to really help them process what has been going on in the relationship and the dynamics and highlighting the violence and the abuse, if there was violence and abuse, and also highlighting the ways that they've resisted that abuse. So in those cases, the work then becomes more about helping them, you know, decide, do they want to stay in this relationship or do they want to leave? And, you know, we don't necessarily tell them what to do. We right. just created a space for them to decide. You know, sometimes there's good reasons for, for men to stay in those relationships because they have kids or they have dependents or they're not financially independent. And then it becomes, okay, well, how do you make this bearable for the meantime while you figure out what the future could look like? So there's there's those clients. Often we also get calls from just family members that are wanting to support their loved ones and their loved ones are not ready to access services. Um, because of shame or embarrassment. And then it's just more about information, providing information. Um, so we see a little bit of, of everything. How does being a victim of abuse impact other relationships in someone's life, like with family, with coworkers, with friends? There's a lot of withdrawal from social connection that happens Again, you know, if you think about it, if you're stressed about your relationship and you're exhausted from it, you're not going to feel necessarily very comfortable talking to other people about it. And that means that you're going to pull away. And on top of that, often what comes with domestic abuse is that the abusing partner will try to isolate the, the victim from their support network to gain more control. And, you know, men will talk about losing contact with, with friends that they've known for years and years and years or, or, you know, having to cut off their family. So there's a lot of social isolation that happens. And I think also just the internal shame can prevent men from wanting to talk too much about their lives with their, with their friends which, yeah, again, shuts them down. A lot of the work initially becomes helping those men to recognize that they didn't do anything wrong, that's not their fault. And what I like to tell men is that, you know, abuse thrives in secrecy. It thrives in, you know, the shadows. And the more you're able to talk about it, be open about it, the more you're taking back some agency and um, taking away the power from the other person. And so that becomes an important part of you know, recovering from some experience mm -hmm. like that. Stefan, what, what drew you to this work? What <laughs> I sort of fell into it. I mean, that's a good question. I started originally uh, working in group homes and families where child and family services got involved and saw what, you know, the breakup of a home life can do to children 
and um, that drove me to want to learn more. And so I went and got my master's degree in, in social work, clinical social work. And uh, I thought I was just going to do general counseling. Yeah. Um, that's what I was trained in. And then as I was working with more and more male clients, um, I was hearing more and more disclosures that were abusive, right? So sexual abuse disclosures, um, just disclosures of people who had never talked to anyone else about what they had been through. And I realized that there was a story out there that has not been told very much. Yeah, so that got me interested. And then there was a position that opened up at the Calgary Counseling Center. I applied and I got the job. And it's been it's been a learning experience for me, too, because even myself, you know, I wasn't aware of the extent to which men experience domestic abuse. Right. You know, I think a lot of people sort of write it off as it's a rare event. You know, why should we care? Um, but when it's you or your family member going through it, in some ways, the prevalence of it doesn't matter. That subjective experience is important and that person deserves support. And um, I wanted to do my bit to make a difference in that world. That's amazing. <laughs> so in your experience, you know, knowing again that it all depends on, on where someone is at, what what strategies or, or coping mechanisms have you found effective for men dealing with the aftermath of abuse? Yeah, I mean, I, what I would like to talk about is the group program we do because it is a, a an approach that I think is particularly helpful for men who experience domestic abuse. Okay, what's what's the name of that group program? Yeah, it's called Turn for the Better, and it's a fourteen week therapy group that we offer here at the Calgary Counseling Center, and it's a program that you know has a bit of psychoeducation component to it, like different themes are covered every week. Um, themes like what is abuse? What is a healthy relationship? What are different communication styles? Like what does assertive communication look like? You know, it, we go into a bit of, you know, family of origins work as well, looking at patterns from your own family of origin and how that might be playing into the relationship that you're currently in or have been in. And there's some experiential components as well. But in some ways, it's less about the, the themes that we cover and more about the environment that we're able to create. Um, what I found is that for a lot of men that are coming in for therapy, you know, it's one thing to talk to a, you know, a counseling professional about what they've been through. Uh, and there's value to that. But I think men who can see that they're not alone and that there are other men that truly understand, have been in their shoes, that is a really transformational experience. Um, yeah, I would, I would think that a group like that Although it's an incredibly vulnerable experience to see that there are other people that have, like know exactly how you felt, that has to be really validating and, and it is. Yeah. And for a lot of these men, you know, they'll say, you know, this is the first time that I've ever, you know, talked about my feelings with other men. You know, like it's even just the space itself is unusual. You know, men don't typically get together and, you know, talk about their worst moments. Yeah. Um, and there is a bond that can develop when when we create that kind of space for men. Yeah. I mean, a lot of men carry really negative messages about themselves that have been reinforced by the abuse. So men 
many of them talk about like feeling like they're crazy or that there's something wrong with them or they're defective or that, you know, they deserve this or that they're not a good person or that they're just alone, right? So all of those messages, if you're hearing that day in, day out from an abusive partner, you know, even the most self-confident guy in the world is going to get worn down. And so the group can really create a, a counter narrative for that where men are able to validate each other's experiences, highlight, you know, each other's strengths uh, and capacities for resisting the abuse and, you know, just offer a different perspective and give people hope that it is possible to get through something like that and get to the other side. And so, you know, I think that is a really effective strategy to, to working, especially with this population. When would someone go into that group? Like, is it every um, every client that we would see no. that um, has experienced abuse? Is it? No, I mean, we do screen the men that go into the group because, you know, people have to be at least somewhat stable to be able to benefit from the conversations that are happening. Also, there are some just technical things that um, need to happen, right? Men have to have a private space that they can engage in where it's confidential. Uh, the groups are virtual, so we used to do in-person, but now they're they're virtual, which opens up, you know, more opportunity for people to participate. But it does mean that they need to be able to access technology. They need to have a private space where they can speak confidentially and, and have other people's confidentiality respected as well. So we go through a screening process ahead of time to, you know, figure out, you know, are they able to talk about their experiences? Um, if they're not, then, you know, maybe they need to do some individual work first to, to get more comfortable talking about their experience. And then, then they can go into the group. And, and we see the most benefit when somebody maybe starts with individual work, just one-on-one -on -one with a therapist. And then as they're, you know, starting to get more comfortable uh, with telling their story, then um, putting them in group to benefit from that experience. What kind of feedback have you gotten from men that have, have gone through that group? Really positive. I mean, we, we try to run it at least a couple times a year. You know, it depends on the numbers of, of men that are coming in when we can run it. But every time I've run it, the response is, is really quite positive. The men um, are always really sad when the 14 weeks end. They're like, oh, can't we, can't we keep going? And, you know, a lot of the men also continue to contact each other after the group ends. They kind of form their own mini support group um, following the group. Um, so, oh, yeah, excellent. I mean, it's, it's been really powerful, I think. You had mentioned one of the things that they learn or that, or that they talk about in the group is, you know, what a healthy relationship looks like. And that's kind of... Yeah, I'd like to, to discuss that. That's kind of the opposite uh, of abuse, right? Like, what does a healthy relationship look like versus an abusive one? What are some signs and, and yeah. patterns? I mean, a lot of the conversation around healthy relationships is about helping men identify what they value in a relationship, like what's important to them, and then kind of measuring their own relationship to those values and seeing, okay, does this relationship actually meet my need for intimacy? Does it meet my need for honesty and transparency? Is there trust in this relationship? You know, is this somebody that I feel like brings out the best in me? Or is this someone that tears me down? You know, in terms of conflict, are we able to disagree with each other and still know that we love each other and care for each other? Those would be indicators that this is either a healthy or an unhealthy relationship. Right. What would an outsider 
notice if someone was experiencing abuse? Yeah, that's a really excellent question. It's something that's so shrouded in secrecies that it's it's really hard to know, right? I think if you're no- noticing in a friend or a family member that they're starting to withdraw more, that there's a personality shift occurring, that they are you know, seeming really stressed a lot of the time. You know, sometimes men will get more into addictive behaviors like substance use or or drug use to cope. You know, obviously those could be signs of many different uh, issues that might be going on for that individual. But those are some of the signs that maybe something in the home life might not be quite right. And I think at the end of the day, it's about creating an environment for, for that man to know that you're there to listen and that you're there and you're available to provide them with support if they need it. But yeah, I mean, there's no single thing that will tell you right. that this is going on because like I said, it, it is pretty shrouded in secrecy usually. Yeah. And like you said, it those things could be signs for, you know, any number of things that are going on. Yeah. In your, your work with, with clients, do you ever work with family members as well? Yeah. I mean, that's the advantage of being part of a generalist counseling agency like Calgary Counseling Center, because, you know, even though my program is specifically working with the men, we have services that can service all the family members, right? So there's groups for women who use violence or abuse in their relationships as well that those individuals can access if they are in a place where they're willing to change or acknowledge that there is a problem and sometimes they're not in that place, which makes it a bit more challenging. And then the other piece is the kids, right? So many of the men that access the program are parents and that adds a whole layer of complexity to it. Of course. So we do offer children's groups at the agency that I'll recommend to the men for their kids. You know, if they're having behavior issues, they're acting out at home, you know, they're angry a lot of the times. Those kids also need support. So we, we try to work with the whole family system as well. Mm-hmm. Seven, what are some key differences in the way men and women experience abuse and, and respond to it? I mean, abuse is abuse, right? I mean, if, if somebody is trying to control someone, the gender in some ways is secondary. But I do think gender norms play a role in how that abuse shows up. And socialization has an impact, right? So I think it's hard for women also to come forward and talk about being abused. But there is more, I think, social acceptance for women to come forward and tell their stories. And there are more, as we talked about earlier, there are more supports that have been set up. And, you know, women have fought to set up those supports um, for each other. In terms of the abuse itself, And at least in the heterosexual relationships, the men often can um, use their physical sort of dominance to humiliate or control the woman. That's not necessarily as common with the opposite. That being said, um, I think that with men, there's just less ability to recognize the abuse when it's happening because they don't have a context for or a language for understanding what's happening to them. Okay. Because um, a lot of men talk about how, you know, in their own upbringings, maybe they saw their dad hitting their mother or something more stereotypical as a form of abuse. And when it comes to more subtle forms of abuse, they don't necessarily understand it as abuse. 
So it takes a bit of a while for them to understand, yeah, this is not healthy. Um, you know, somebody withholding your medication from you or somebody that is not um, letting you access your finances or somebody that's demanding sex from you, whether you want it or not, you know, that's not physical violence, but that's still abusive behavior. Mm -hmm. There is an element of having to educate men around what abuse actually is um, for them to come to terms with understanding that, yeah, what they are experiencing is is not okay. I think you've, you've done a good job of this. You know, it's important to, to emphasize that, you know, just because we're talking about male victims, that we're in no way minimizing the experience of women. Yeah, I want to emphasize that with this whole uh, men's mental health series. I think that, you know, whenever you kind of break up different groups and, and focus on it, you know, it's it's not like we're saying that this group is more important than another, no. but I think it is important to talk about it because, you know, men experience all the emotions, all the same yeah. life experiences and stuff that women do. So we do need to uh, to talk about it a bit more. Definitely, definitely. I guess one one form of abuse I didn't mention that a lot of the men do share, and I, I do want to make sure I, I bring it up, is is when there is separation happening in the kids. I talked about kids being uh, a key point, and you know, parents talk about the devastation of losing contact with their kids, and especially for men because often the mother will get preferential treatment for getting their getting access to the children. Not that it's easy for women either, but, you know, as men particularly um, find it very hard to be heard in cases like custody cases or uh, court hearings where they risk losing contact with their children entirely. And I think that's another element um, where the, the social norms, the, the stereotypes can negatively impact um, how abuse shows up for, right. for men. That would be considered a form of abuse as well? Withholding yeah, children? I mean, I would call that administrative abuse um, where you're using the system, the social systems, like the legal system, to continue or perpetuate your intimidation tactics or control over your partner. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's heartbreaking. You had mentioned this idea, and I think we hear this a lot, like, oh, it's it's a sign of strength to ask for help. It's it's brave to do this. And I'm not a man, and I don't want to assume to speak to their experiences at all or, or to make any kind of assumptions. But I think... And please correct me if I'm wrong, that it's it's also important to to kind of change the narrative a bit and not just say like, oh, our idea of strength is different, but also that these other characteristics are valuable too. Like you don't have to be strong. Like you don't no, that's have to be point. brave all the time. That's like a good point. Being vulnerable is valuable as well. Being sensitive is valuable as well. I mean, I think that's a much greater, like it's a bigger hill to climb. I think that really starts at childhood and how we raise our boys. But no, I totally agree with you, you know, that it's it's not just about strength and bravery and all of that. It's also about expanding the possibilities and the meanings of masculinity and recognizing that men are three-dimensional and that means they have strength and they have bravery and independence and all of that. And they have emotions and they have needs and they have wants and they have vulnerabilities. And that that makes men just as complex and, and um, three-dimensional as any other person. Right. 
you know, certainly that is not, a, you know, I'm not trying to deny that when no, I say. No, no. And I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't take it that way. I just, yeah, I think that's part of that bigger conversation. I think as humans, we like to put things in boxes, you know? Yes. But as people we, we are, we're so complex and, you know, it starts off as kids, like, you know, the whole girls play with dolls and boys play with cars. And yeah, I mean, I think I try to meet men where they're at. Right. And so, you know, if a man buys into the value of strength and, you know, all of those sort of independence and needing to be able to problem solve their own issues and being independent, I'm not necessarily going to start by trying to change those beliefs. Of course. I'm just going to try to reframe those beliefs in a way that actually helps that person to to move forward. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I totally agree with you that, you know, that's only one dimension of the story. Can you share some advice to our male listeners who who may be hesitant to seek help or, or talk about their own experiences? Yeah, I would say to those men that, and I say this to my clients too, you know, it takes a lot more courage and strength to ask for help than to be silent, that it takes bravery to reach out. So when we're talking about those stereotypes of men being strong or being independent or brave, real bravery is knowing when you're in over your head. Being strong means knowing when you need support. And as I mentioned earlier, knowing that abuse thrives in darkness, the best thing you can do for yourself is to disclose and speak about what you're going through with people you trust, right? So it doesn't necessarily have to be a counselor, you know, talk to a family member, talk to somebody that you know has your best interest at heart. Just even breaking that silence is going to be, you know, a huge step forward for you in figuring out how to navigate the next step of your life. Is there anything else that that we haven't covered? Anything else that you want our listeners to know? I think my main message is is for the men out there, is for them to, to know that there is support out there. I know it can be very inconsistent um, for, for men that do disclose. Like I've heard stories of, of men going to family doctors or nurses or authority figures and not being believed or not being um, taken seriously. And I know how devastating that can be for, for, for self-esteem. You know, I guess my message is to know that your experience matters. It is important and that there are people out there that are able and willing to help uh, and to not give up. Keep going. Thank you so much for, for talking with me about like this very important topic. Thank you for for the work that you do and, and the lives that you help. <laughs> Thank you. You've been listening to Living Fully a Calgary Counseling Center podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This episode was produced by Nick Heer, Louisa Campos, and by me, Catherine Hartig. A special thanks to Stefan DeVilliers. To stay up to date on our latest episodes, be sure to subscribe. We're available in your favorite podcast app. Living Fully is a production of Calgary Counseling Center and recorded in Calgary on Treaty 7 territory. Living Fully podcast is not a substitute or alternative for professional care or treatment. If you're in Alberta and need help, please go to calgarycounseling.com or counselingalberta.com. For help across Canada and the United States, call 211. If you are outside of Canada and the U.S., seek help from your general medical practitioner. <laughs>